Hello, this is John Haddad, and you're listening to Gut Boss, double G-U-double-T. Hi, everyone. I'm Maria, and welcome to Gut Talks, double G-U-double-T, a podcast I started to connect, reconnect, and meet like-minded individuals and put some karma on the board. In this episode, we put together an existing segment of season three. So instead of listening in batches, you get to listen to the entire conversation. We had over 89,000 downloads to date, starting from zero with no sponsors. And it's a 100% self-funded podcast. Thank you so much for hanging around and listening to the episodes. And I have one ask only. I'd love to have your feedback to keep the show up to your expectations. So drop me a line at maria at gut.com. And like, share, or leave a review if you can. Now let's get started. Today, we're honored to introduce our guest, an innovator who's making waves in the field of biomechanics and movement. His passion for pushing boundaries and his relentless pursuit of excellence are making noise and opening doors to a whole new realm of possibilities. Disclaimer. Those in the medical space, particularly strength and conditioning coaches, physiotherapists, osteopaths, and so on, might find this kind of controversial. But at Got Talks, we like to talk to everybody and learn from everyone. It's a space to explore together. Let's keep going. So his journey is a testament to the power of determination and the refusal to settle for mediocrity. He talks about his journey, his mentors, teamwork, to uncover key opportunities to revolutionize human health and movement by challenging the status quo and daring to dream big. Change starts with a mindset, and one of the most important things is embracing new ideas. And by doing so, we can create a ripple effect that transforms not only our own lives, but also the lives of those around us. We will delve a little bit into the patient experience, exploring how we can reshape the way we approach healthcare putting the individual at the center and focusing on optimizing their well-being. This segment is about equipping you, our listeners, with the needed awareness to take control of your own health, prevent issues, and unlock your true potential. Because one of my beliefs, myself as a person, is to challenge what we know, challenge what we've been taught, what we hear, and what we've learned over the years. We didn't go too deep into the science, but hopefully we will have another conversation down the road. So this conversation will challenge beliefs and expand horizons. You might like it or not, but I'm sure that it will make you think. Let's get going. Just to get started. So this is the first episode of Gut Talks in person before. Really? Yes. So Gut Talks started actually off being a series of short videos meeting people like in different places, wherever I will be. And then during COVID, I decided to get started with a podcast. And I launched the first episode on the 31st of December 2020. And now we're at season three. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, with it. yeah, between the decision and the action, it took a few months actually. But yeah, anyway, we're here now and we're in Lebanon at the moment with this first in-person podcast with different cameras. So I don't know where to look at the moment. <laughs> so thank you for all this equipment, John, as well. My pleasure, my pleasure. So let's get started. I think I want to make use of this time just to, you know, talk about you and your journey and what you're doing. So, and the first question would be, Actually, who's John? I mean, I would definitely classify myself as a 
I would like to say scientist, but I know that word is kind of being overused and misused in some kind of places. But I always strive to look for answers and more and more answers and I'll never stop. So I will be a forever student of my own life. I mean, of course, I've, I've studied a lot of people's five dates and a lot of people led me in the right direction towards where to look, but I will always be a student of my own finance. I will look and search for answers. So I would like to say scientists, if I will, maybe that's the short answer, but that's where I'm going to keep it at. Okay. So just to put things into perspective, why are we here today? Just to make the long story actually shorter, but I was kind of surprised and impressed knowing that there was someone like John who does what he's doing, and I'm going to get into this, who's based in Lebanon after everything that happened. I don't really like to go into this conversation because for those who don't know, maybe I'm from Lebanon as well. And it was through a project that we came across the name of John Haddad when I figured out, okay, this guy is Lebanese, tried to get in touch. And I got to know that you are quite known in the biomechanics world, in the movement world. So when we talk about the body, the muscles, how we move as human beings and as athletes, your name is quite renowned globally. And then finally you year on like, wow, okay, when I come on holidays, it's not just holidays, it's about learning new things and meeting amazing people. So John, you have a story and I listened to one of your TEDx talks and I'm going to touch in a few bits and then let you get into that. You had a, I'm going to say you can <laughs> expand on this, but you were quite big, Great. extremely big back in the days and you showed your pants yes. in this talk and you're into jewelry making, right? Mm -hmm. You live between Lebanon and the U.S. and then you had this key moment in your life. I don't know what that is. Maybe you can tell us. And then this got you into changing, you know, the, the purpose of what you were doing in life and led you to where you are today. So that's kind of a long question and intro, but the floor is then yours. Who was John as a kid and what led you to where you are today and making this life-changing decision? All right, that's an interesting question. I, I haven't reflected on that for a while. You know, I haven't really thought about it for a while, but of course it's it's there in the head and I can bring it out. I can, as a kid, we moved from place to place. We ended up spending my adolescent years in the United States. We moved back here at the age of 16, 17 years old to Lebanon. That's when the family decided to move back. And I think growing up in the United States at the time, we were a little bit ignorant about nutrition and ignorant about how to live our life. But at the same time, the United States opened us up into a lot of getting into a lot of sports. And so I was always moving, but I was eating the worst of the worst diet in the world. Like everything processed, just junk food all the time. And my parents had no no way to stop us because we would find it anywhere we wanted to. Like it wasn't something like they did. Plus, we didn't have the proper education to know that this is going to harm us at a later stage in our lives. Fast forward when we came here, I went on a bunch of, I mean, the journey was just tremendous, a bunch of like starvation diets that actually ricocheted. So you would lose the weight and it would come back with a vengeance. It would come back even worse than it was before, messed up my metabolism. I did all kinds of things to my body that was just wrong. And then when I um, did, when I started working after finishing college, I, I became a jeweler and uh, I was really good at it. But then I decided, okay, I'm going to take control of my life. My father got really sick. He wasn't extremely overweight. He was just a little chubby for his age. But he wasn't always like the one to do a lot of sports or anything like that. But he was somewhat aware of what he ate and what he put into his body. 
And when I decided to actually start on my journey, I couldn't stand sitting down selling jewelry. And I found a very, very nice person to help me on my journey, which is a family friend of ours. She was my nutritionist at the time. She took me down the path and she was like my, if you want my, my teacher, then eat this, don't eat that, eat this, don't eat that. You know, so I went on this journey. And then when I eventually just went into it, I couldn't stand being a jeweler anymore. And so I decided to go into fitness industry. This started off, I actually went back online and I thought uh, I did three years and got my nutrition degree online and uh, figured out that was a bunch of baloney also because uh, they just teach you a bunch of the wrong things. But we're not going to get into that on this podcast. But after that, I just dove into sports. So this uh, center here was supposed to be a center to for fitness and nutrition, to helping out overweight people overcome because I knew that they had some difficulties in movement also. And I mean, even for myself at the time, there was always something that they're like a barrier which we couldn't do certain movements. So I wanted to actually do this. Then everything turned around into figuring out, okay, being overweight comes with a lot of injuries and a lot of pains in certain areas and figuring out how to actually, I was never the person to say, yeah, avoid this movement. I knew that there was something wrong there. Okay. I don't want to avoid the movement. Why is this pain happening during this movement? So that was my journey. What were I at today? And still trying to figure things out. I, I think I actually surpassed a big, big step in my life into actually understanding how the body works in terms of muscles and fascia and how it interconnects with each other. But I'm always on the journey to figuring out. Okay. Wow. So basically it started with, uh, through a personal story. Like, like like all the good stories. <laughs> yeah. But what, it took you over a year or a year and a half, right? It took me a year and a half. half. Yeah, a year and a half. Okay. It was a lot of weights. I, I put a little bit back, but it's okay because I think my metabolism suffered a lot at the time. My metabolism got really, really slow. Now it's coming back. I mean, I'm always trying to find the right solution for it. So doing what we can we're doing what we can and, and of course stress doesn't help your metabolism either and you know what we've been through in the yeah. past few years so it's okay i'm healthy i'm uh, doing all right and uh everything is on its way awesome and you mentioned we're here at level eight yes can you just in a brief overview because you said this was supposed to be a center for nutrition and helping overweight yeah. people so but we, it's it's much more yeah so we started in the year 2011 um, with a lot of scientific background. So we did, of course, I had my nutrition degree at the time. And then we started out, we used to do a lot of tests for people, body composition, VO2 max tests to see where they should birth had and all of this other fun stuff. And I slowly started realizing there's a big barrier with injuries. So I started diving deeper into that, took a lot of courses. I had a lot of good people that held my hand and led me in the right direction in towards where I am today. So they were, you know, a lot of good people were on my side at the time, and I thank them all the time for this. You know, I, nobody has his own journey without having good people surrounding them. But I completely went, I'm just going to say I took a detour and I went on my own path towards figuring out how muscles really work. And that's where I am today. I work with injured people. I also train people like to get faster and stronger, but I am known in the biomechanics world as a person that fixes injuries. Hence your nickname, The Fix, right? Exactly, exactly. What is it that made you realize that, you know, weight is linked to injuries or injuries are linked to weight and movement? I don't know if I'm getting this right, but... Well, it wasn't... I don't think there's a direct link to it. I think there is the link that you become less mobile when you get a lot of weight. 
your joints go through a lot of compression, which then enables you not to move so well anymore. And you start to become very stiff in your knee joints and your ankle joints and your hip joints and every single joint as a matter of fact. And therefore, if you do some kind of movement that is a little bit bigger than you're allowed to, that your joints allow you to, then something else is going to suffer in return. And that's why you see a lot of overweight people with knee pain. You go to the doctor, the first thing that tells you, oh, you have to lose weight to you know, get rid of knee pain. As a matter of fact, the weight isn't what's causing the knee pain, but the stiffness in the joints help with that. They help with the knee pain that's actually happening. And therefore, so we have to find a way. Okay, so my journey was losing weight was, wasn't just dieting and depriving my body of calories. It was also a lot of sports involved. And luckily, I didn't have a lot of injuries. You know, a little bit of shoulder pain from time to time, but I didn't have a lot of injuries. But I started noticing the people that come here that were overweight were having a lot of pain, a lot of injuries, and trying to figure out how that worked. And then it completely went into, in 2014, I completely moved into just working with injured people. I'd say just people with pain, people that had injuries, primarily. Of course, then you have athletes that trust you, when you fix an injury, they also start working with prevention and stuff like this and actually get faster and stronger because if you understand how the muscles work, then you understand how to actually make that muscle work when it's supposed to. I mean, that's a whole different story. So there, I have a few athletes that work with me for better function, let's just say it. And then of course, the injuries are number one. Yeah. I guess there's lots of uh, awareness that comes with it because I think, and quite often like we as humans get seek treatment when we feel pain somehow and the pain comes maybe after an injury and maybe over time we don't feel it straight away and what we try to do is come at this like previous step to help people avoid this over time right specifically athletes right specifically athletes or they use their body a lot more than a normal gym goer does or anything like that so we can actually use the phrase they overuse their bodies and you know and recovery it's it's very important how much are they able to hold that strain in their bodies and their muscle over time is extremely extremely important so this is one of the things like with athletes, it's very, very unique way because you have to accustom yourself to their schedule, depending on what kind of athlete they are, you know, you have to accustom yourself to their schedule to see how much they're actually training with the team training or individual training on themselves and then see where you can fit in your little thing and see what works the best for them and what they need the most of, you know? So and now I don't want to just do things, do things. I want to have to see how to actually build this program to accustom with their program that they have to do as athletes and then to actually start doing a little bit of our own to fit in without overdoing it. So it's very, it's a very unique way. I want to say fragile way of doing things, but it's been working. Okay. It's been working. Okay. Okay. So I think we have different things here and I'm going to, maybe let's uh, deep dive into the athlete sports first, since we're on it. You said they have a very busy schedule, busy lifestyle, and you work with different athletes from like footballers, skiers, all across, right? And at a very high level, it's not like the average athlete. It's the ones that are more than professionals. I, I mean, they're superstars as well. These are the guys you work with and they need to stay at the top all the time. Absolutely. And you're saying they use their body so much that it doesn't become fragile. I mean, I don't know. How is it? What do you do to help them? Because you spoke about programs and you also don't want to disrupt their current lifestyle. So you're starting in this part where you're interfering or intervening actually in specific areas 
how do you see this becoming a major part of it also to keep their body at the top all the time? So I have a unique way of thinking about injuries. If we want to categorize injuries, we can categorize them to different things. We can categorize, I mean, many different things, but let's just call them non-contact injuries and contact injuries. Contact injuries cannot be prevented if we just speak it out. Like the large title of it is non-contact injuries cannot be prevented. They can be less harmful to your body if your body is able to absorb that kind of hit more and more. But the big one is non-contact injury that we've been seeing on the rise, especially in the athlete world, especially in sports, professional sports. You see a person running and all of a sudden, snap, something happens. An ACL tear, a muscle tear, whatever it is, a hamstring, a calf, a groin problem. Whatever it is, okay, depending on, of course, the athletes, what sport they're playing. So there's more common injuries in certain sports. And they can be avoided at all costs because their bodies are so well balanced that their nervous system actually catch up to their speed and how much they're playing. So their nervous system is supposed to tell them that there is something happening at a certain time. When that injury happens, For instance, when we haven't been working with an athlete for a long time and that injury happens, I look back to see where is the blockage in that nervous system and why didn't the nervous system respond? Is that person completely fatigued or is there a blockage in their nervous system that comes from partial adhesions or muscle adhesions that's not allowing the signal to pass through easily so that that person's body is able to adapt to a certain movement. Let's just say, for instance, I want to go up, but not myself, but let's just say a person wants to go up and kick a ball and they want to go really, really high with their leg. They're putting a lot of strain on groin muscles, on their hamstring muscles, on certain muscles like this. And their body is supposed to tell them when they put a lot of strain like this, their nervous system tells them, hey, you're going too far. So their body adapts. Their arms will contract. Their pelvis will posteriorly tilt. Their knee will bend so that their hamstring doesn't get that far open. When that doesn't happen, it's either the nervous system wasn't fast enough because it was complete fatigue. Maybe they've been playing too many games after each other. Maybe it's at the end of a certain game that it's like the 90th minute of a football match. Or more than likely that this is their occurrence because they're used to playing this much. Isn't that there's a blockage in the nervous system somewhere? And that blockage in the nervous system needs to be found so that these problems don't reoccur. I mean, fixing it is the first thing that's primarily because they have to go in, but then figuring out why this happened is what I'm going to go to the root cause. Why did this happen? Why didn't your nervous system respond to this movement that you asked it to do? So that's basically what we've been on a mission. And this is where all of my sessions come in, where I test every single athlete using my movements. And it's not, they don't know it's a test, but it's because we're moving in a specific way. But I get to test and I get to see where the adhesions are and then I get to work with that or where the blockages are and I get to work with that keep everything moving the way it should. With athletes you've been working for a while, is it faster for you to figure out what the issue is? Absolutely. Especially also the athletes, like depending on the athletes, they have a good team around them. If I'm working with them all the time, if they're here, if I'm going there, like if I get to touch a lot of these athletes, I do online with them. There's always a collaboration between me and, and the rest of their team whether they're working with their individual athletes or team athletes, I talk with the, whoever collaborates with them over there. And so we help each other figure things out. You know, I always say teamwork makes a dream. It's never a one-man job. I cannot take any full credit for any of the accomplishments 
completely fully because it's always uh, a cheap, you know, it's always a cheap one. Add a little something that they haven't had. And so they appreciate this. And I think that's what makes the best of the best. Did you encounter some sort of resistance when it comes to the teams around the athletes in general? Because I'm just trying to put this into context. They work with the club, let's say, or they're part of the club, or they're part of a team, or of a country team, whatever that is. And they have also top practitioners working with them, you know, around them, supporting them in like every step of the journey, all day long, all the time with everything. And how do you fit into that? I mean, it's not always so smooth, but thankfully I haven't had a lot of resistance so far. Not always so smooth because I understand how things work. There's always a hierarchy when it comes to this and it's difficult for somebody to come in from the outside and do completely go and do their thing. But I understand how the hierarchy works and I understand this and we always getting, if you want, support before we go in. So we're always mentioned and I'm always giving a full report to whoever's in charge mm-hmm. of that certain athletes so they understand what we've done, what we're planning to do. And so we're always kind of getting the okay before. Okay. And that uh, so I know how it works and I'm only getting better at it. Let's just say, call it the political part of this journey. But I mean, I haven't had a lot of resistance, to be honest with you. And been, it's been a pleasure. You know, it's been really nice to see the different ways that how different clubs work and how different the athletic, also athletic teams work. And so it's been, it's been nice. And, and uh, hopefully, I mean, I haven't had anything wrong yet, but hopefully they're also all satisfied with what I've done. You said you work on Zoom as well. Yes. Especially during like COVID, right? And then how do you do this? Of course, it's a lot easier when I'm actually seeing the person in person. And so they understand what kind of movement they understand this. But it takes a little bit more time for them to understand a certain movement. And there's always a lot of questions where sometimes I know, I mean, I don't know if any of my athletes are going to watch this. Hopefully they will. But I know that sometimes I get annoying because I always ask, where do you feel it? Where do you feel it? I want to know because... I'm not there to actually do any hand-gobs. I need them to tell me where they're actually feeling a certain movement. And that's what gives me the feedback for my movements to see if it's actually working or not in the right way. And then I adjust to that. So it, I've kind of gotten good at it, but to be honest, like on Zoom, even I prefer in person 100%, but it's done its job. It's done its job. Okay. I think this part is going to take us to this next part here, working on the Zoom and... You being, you know, at the same time in multiple places, which is impossible. Is this the reason why you started the School of Biomechanics as well? Well, the School of Biomechanics started to spread the knowledge of what we have, because I think knowledge shouldn't be kept. I mean, there's enough injured people, enough people suffering from injuries in the world and pain, living with pain, that they shouldn't get a benefit. So I started this to actually spread the word about how we work. And I know that no matter how much we go in, how many people we teach, there's going to be an abundance of people that need our help. And of course, it's not like I'm saying that our way or there's no other way in the world, but I like to add our way to the other people's methodologies. And so far, this particular course that I've been giving now, I think they're around, I would say between 350 around 250 people worldwide that taking the course and I've only had much feedback from them and most of them are still using techniques when they need them. And so I only want them to understand how it works and, and start implementing the movements when they need them, when they need them. 
And it's basically the school environment and it's basically revolved around injuries. So it is for people that are suffering from some kind of, let's just call it, I mean, we're going to call it a biomechanical issue, but I'm going to say actually suffering from pain that's not allowing them to continue their daily activities. Okay. Who do you teach in particular? Physical therapists, osteopaths are the main. They've been that hub of who's coming to my courses. And of course, a lot of personal trainers that actually work with injured people. Okay. Because there's a lot of trainers that don't focus at all on the injury. They just say, okay, you're injured, go to a specialist. You know, okay. there are people that say, okay, you're injured, let's try to figure this out. Or you feel pain during a certain movement, let's figure this out. There are other people that just base their research and their daily thought, and I respect that so much, on just how to try to get that person faster and stronger and all that stuff. So performance and exactly. How did you make your way into the professional or elite sports? I've been training athletes for quite a while, not as professional as now, but I've been with athletes for quite a while using my techniques. Mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of fighters previously and in the fight scene and you know, in the fight scene, there's people would think there's a lot of injuries, but it's a lot less than other sports, you know, because you're actually waiting for the impact. But it was also, it got me to use my techniques and to try my techniques to save the world was on trial, you know, and it's not like they're elaborate or anything like this, but it's because you get to refine your techniques because you know that I need to do one, two, three, but how do you actually do this using the machine that we have today? There are no machines made especially for my techniques because they have a special, I asked you special things. I don't know if you haven't been injured, so thankfully you haven't used but you've seen me work a little bit. So yeah. there's no special techniques here to, there's no special equipment here that actually, so you have to come up with the equipment, think about the equipment we have, try to, you know, hack it in a way to actually fit what you're trying to do. And so this is what we've been trying to do from there. So it's been nice. So going forward, you start to become better at, okay, I know I need to do this technique. I know I need to use this band. I know I need to use this uh, machine. And then we put it together. So that was how you refine the movement. However, the movement's been there from the beginning. Just refine it by how you make it more user friendly. Okay. Yeah, I saw you have some. You work with wood as well, right? Right. What do we get our hands on? Whatever we can, you know. We think about something. I I've created a lot of my own stuff. You know, a lot of my own bands and clips and stuff like this to actually fit what I'm trying to do with a person. Yeah. So that's the whole creative side of you that kicked in. I guess, I guess. I mean, I probably could use a little bit more work on that, but, you know, we're getting there. I want to ask you, what is, if you want, the biggest discovery for you, or what was it when you started learning more about the body? What was this discovery that was so amazing for you? We have been using muscle anatomy. The muscle anatomy is basically where your muscles are, located and then of course they name the muscles yeah you know they have these latin names and then how muscles function so how muscles function have been around since the discovery of our muscles and that's a long time ago i'm just gonna say i'm just gonna ballpark it there for around 150 years so we've been using how muscles function for 150 years and how we came up with how muscles function is they basically had a cadaver like they say in Arabic, okay, lying down on a table and they would cut the person open. They would see his muscle and they would say, okay, this is, we're going to name this the pectoralis major muscle. Let's squeeze it together, contract the muscle and see what it does. Okay. So what does it do? It's going to move the arm 
horizontally inwards. Okay. So they would say, write that down and they would call it dysfunction. And they would look at certain fibers and they would say, okay, probably does this and this and this too. Right. Then that's it. So muscles function in this way. And mainly they call them insertion and origins of muscles. So they would have the insertion, then they would have the origin of and they would say one move towards the other. So everything that was connected to the bigger structure doesn't move in the way anatomy classic. And anything connected to our extremities moves. For me, that was complete baloney. If you have muscle tissue there, then your brain is able to contract it at any time it wants to. And hence what we do, why it works so well is because we contract it whenever we want to and we stretch it whenever we want to. I let the brain control those fibers. I don't just say, okay, it's going to do this, this, and this. I let it. That's how I'm able to fix a break to have strength there are three and four days. That's the way I'm able to do this because of using the brain to build into those certain muscles and to be able to tell them what to do. And I completely removed the idea of there being anything called insertions origins, which I got attacked for a few times, but I laughed it off because I don't care. At the end, I know what I'm doing and I know the people I'm working with and I know I'm able to do these things on the highest level athletes in the world. And this is, this is something I will continue to do. And if they want to continue reading their old anatomy, then let it be. So I base my anatomy off real tried and tested stuff. I know that, and then of course, if you protract the pec, so the pec passes from your humerus to your sternum, if you contract it, obviously the person's lying down. So his ribcage is on the actual table. So of course the ribcage isn't going to move. But if this person was in midair and they were actually running or throwing, how do we actually test that on a cadaver? You cannot test it and you cannot see how muscles work. So this was, I would say, the biggest idea of my findings. This was the biggest finding course in thinking about how the body actually works comes derived from this ideology, from this ideology of how muscles work and how our brain lets them work when we want them. Of course, when you're doing some added movement, any movement is controlled by the brain, but then you have a difference. So let's say you're kicking a ball. That movement, of course, your brain tells you to kick that ball and it happens at the past space. It becomes more muscle memory and controlled movement. But you can slow it down and you can control that movement to make any muscle contract or stretch at a certain time during a certain joint movement. So it becomes much more stable. And that's where the muscles and the nervous system go haywire. They become really, really strong. And this is what we try to do. So this is what we're trying to do. That takes a lot of the energy. And most people describe the sessions with us as really, really tiring for their brain and not so much for their muscles. And that's what we're trying to do is actually have control of your joints, control of your muscle, which controlling your joints to be able to do a certain movement the way we want. What is it that made you like want to explore this even further? Well, nothing has changed very yet in the last, in terms of rehabilitation, in terms of, of course, the performance is low. They're always finding movements. But in terms of rehabilitation, the only things that have been changing is the machinery. But the way we actually view the way the body works hasn't changed. So a hamstring strain today, a great two hamstring strain takes between three to six weeks to fix or three to eight weeks to fix depending on because different people say different things about 
you know, the type two hazard strain can be graded in different ways, depending on how deep it is, where it is, or whatever it is, or how big it is, so on and so forth. But it's three to eight weeks. That hasn't changed since the 1970s. I read an article the other day on my computer that says 1970s. That's the same way they've actually been doing. So we're in 2023 today. That's 50 years down the line. How come every other industry has changed and has progressed so far, but this industry hasn't? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Of course, we have certain machines that we use now that makes it better and better and better, but we're still using them with the same ideology as we should be. But if you use those great machines to your benefit, then a lot of things will change. The body is wonderful and it shouldn't be taking the soft picks and injury. What was the um, shortest, let's say, amount of time you managed to get rid of a hamstring injury? Oh, if, if I had full control, like without a habit to go through that, let's just say that politics. Uh, I've been I've done at the World Cup. I had a athlete, Moroccan athlete, in the World Cup that had a great two passion strain the day before he traveled to Qatar, and I got back training with the team. Three days. Three days. Three yeah. Days. Great type two passion strain. Great two passion strain. They allowed me. Of course, his team over there did some wonderful work, but they allowed me to do whatever I wanted. So I. I will eat whatever I want. Yeah. I could waste any time. Yeah. I could waste any time. But I also had to work with this athlete before, so he understands. So I would say this was the fastest, you know. And, uh, and he played his first game in, in 10 days after, and he scored his goal. So it was a, a really nice moment, you know, a really yeah. nice moment to see this pattern thing happen. I've done a lot more things, and this happened on a daily basis. That's what I do. That's my type of work. But not as fast, just because getting the, you know, you have to go through the proper channels. You know? yeah. So I'm going through the channels. Space. So are athletes contacting you after an injury or before? No. Unfortunately, my deepest kind of Okay. I would love to have them. I have a few that work with me all the time, regardless if they're injured or not. But the majority are contacting me after. So... Of course, in what that contact me before, we try to make sure that we don't get, you know, injured as frequent. Or I try to get them away completely from something called non-trauma injuries. Okay. And I also make them more aware of their bodies so they can actually report any feeling they shouldn't. Because I think this is the most critical thing when it comes to this. Because most people are saying, "Yeah, no pain, no gain," but that's the, one of the worst phrases in the world because. Yeah. The body tells us it's in pain for a reason, giving us signals, giving us a warning. You know, so changing the perspective of, okay, listen, Jenny, you shouldn't have this feeling. You need to report it to me so that it doesn't get worse anytime. You know, this is our journey with the athletes that I work with all the time. Okay. So if this is for the uh, athletes, for the non-athletes, how do you help them be aware of their body as well is of it the course. same of course absolutely absolutely it's a little bit more challenging because with an athlete if you ask him to do a certain movement 20 times a day they're going to do with 40 and okay. oh you know they're never going to say no to anything and i know that what we do can get boring sometimes but athletes are used to recognition repetition repetition i don't we don't have to try to sugarcoat anything when it comes to regular people it kind of gets challenging. Hey, I asked you to do this, you know, 20 times. Did you do it? No, I didn't have time. Or no, you know, they just get 
you know, they just go on to their own way and they just become, you know, involved with life, you know? Yeah. And so it becomes a little bit more challenging, but we're trying to get there. We're trying to get there. So that's how you get. It's through repetition that you get the muscles to behave in the way they should be. Well, that's proper repetition. Yeah, proper repetition. repetition. Okay. Yeah, exactly. it's not just any rapid, you know, it's just not giving this any win. It depends on the injury. Yeah. So, of course, we ask certain people to do something, other people to do something completely different. But it depends on the injury. But, you know, you, even the ones that the regular envoy, like regular gym envoys or the regular, let's call them the average Joes and Janes, it's not as easy telling him. You know, I know everybody has some people, kids, job, you know, but when you are pain and you become pain free, you become a totally completely different person. And this is why I always ask them things, take responsibility. You know, I never want to be, I never want anybody to be reliant on us. Yeah. So take responsibility. I'm educating you about your body. This is what you've been doing. This is your life. This is how you are. So you need to do this a few more times, you know, and then do whatever you want. And that some people do, some people don't. So I'm going to get back to this within like a minute, but I have a one question here. If you have a hamstring injury in a specific spot, let's say, right? In that sense. I hope I'm using the right terminology here. Would it come back in the same area? Because I remember when I first met you, you said, if it comes here, it's all going to come here again. Okay, so. Well, hamstring is not here, but I'm just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so let, let's just say you have a hamstring, okay? Okay. And. This hamstring strain gets healed, regardless of how the healing is. Yeah. So our techniques, regular techniques, or whatever it is. You build something called scar tissue, just like anything else. If you get cut, there's yeah. going to be a scar tissue here, and it becomes immobile. And you know, we all have cuts from our childhood days or certain racing you've done or whatever. We all have cuts that, that happen to us. And these cuts turn into scar tissue. Yeah. And the scar becomes less mobile than any other skin. You can check any scar you have. You can check and see why doesn't the scar move like the tissue around it. Okay. The reason for this is because it's called scar tissue. And scar tissue is built up there. It becomes like, I don't know if you've seen these Japanese short videos where they say, you know, a jar breaks and you glue it back together, it becomes stronger than it actually was. It's kind of like this. So this area becomes more, but in a bad way, becomes more rigid. So you have areas that are become more rigid in that way. Can it re-tear? Yes, the hamstring, yes, but not those specific fibers. That's why there's a, a particular way to actually get that person back to playing. That's why it's so important to bust out scar tissue, break up scar tissue, make sure that the muscles are moving properly. This is why assessment during every single movement is important to make sure that the muscles are just flowing properly. It is why every single move you can do is a test for that particular person you I want to jump a little bit into another section that kind of, I'm not going to say it relates back to what you were saying, but it might be. And here we can be as politically correct as we want, but I don't know what your view, but my view is I, as a person, I don't like to take any kind of drugs whenever I feel pain somewhere or anything like that. I try to avoid going to the doctors unless I really need to. But that's me, right? You mentioned a few points as you were discussing that you do not want people, patients, or pre-patients before they become injured or whatever, rely on you all the time. You want them to become independent and have their subconscious maybe aware of their body and also they can act upon and so on. 
why is this kind of information? And we touched on a bit, on a little part, and but there was so much more out there for sure. Why is this not given to us? Why don't we learn those things even at school? Why are we not aware of this? I mean, I have no nice way to put this, you right. know, to be honest with you, but I'm going to try to put it in the best way possible. So first of all, any kind of medication that suppresses pain, if you're injured, is actually going to be damaging you on the long run, not because of its side effects, because it's actually masking the position you put your joints and muscles in that actually gives you pain. And as we said before, pain is an indicator. Your body tells you you're in pain for a reason, mm -hmm. so you can avoid that just like when we're little kids. Don't touch the hot stove, you touch the hot stove, there's a signal that goes from that finger all the way up to your brain that says, ouch, and then you worry your, your finger and it happens at such a fast pace. The same thing, if you take that medication that's supposed to be masking that pain you have from muscle strain or joint spray or whatever it is, and you go into a certain movement, you won't feel that anymore. Therefore, you're actually damaging that area more instead of getting into the root cause of what's causing that problem to happen. However, I completely understand you there. I've also been blessed that I've worked with a lot of good applicants, especially the ones, I mean, a lot of good doctors, especially the ones now at the clubs and a few here in Lebanon that don't go for medication at their primary source for any problem. And of course, especially the ones that work with the big, like, like uh, teens and clubs, of course, medication at the last, but they don't want to mess up and they, they understand that they need to figure out what's happening, you know? Unfortunately, I think for the average Joes, I know my parents and generation are the ones that they want something as fast they go. You know, and they don't want to spend time and figure things out. They just bring those those people. So just give me that pill and let me get rid of it. But should we be teaching our younger generation about this? Absolutely. I know I'm teaching my daughter about this and, and I don't know why it shouldn't be taught to the whole world. You know, they need to understand their bodies. You know, yeah. they need to understand when to listen to their bodies when to just stop at a certain thing, when they're fatigued, when they're this, when they're that, you know, and understand movement should be more available to our younger generation too. They don't move as much as they, as much as we used to. I mean, now they're even moving less and less. So it's a big subject, you know, it's a big subject. It's a huge subject because now everything is like technology. Now they're just sitting down doing everything by technology. They don't even move their hands anymore to write. Yeah. Well, they might move their lips. Yeah, it's a thing. That's it. You know, that's it. That's all they do. Their thumbs have become really, really strong. Yeah. No, because it goes back to uh, you giving the, uh, you know, analogy of the dead body, you know, and doing analysis on the anatomy to see how muscles function. And it's the same thing. My biggest beef also is we treat everybody in the same way. Whereas what you do is it's really personalized because each body is absolutely nobody gets treated and saved. No injury, no diagnosis gets treated in the same way for us. There is no diagnosis. You cannot come to me today and say, I have lower back pain and I will treat you the same way I would treat somebody else with lower back pain. I would do a complete full body analysis assessment on you and check where that pain is stemming from and then go treat that actual cause and not symptoms. I don't want to just mask up your back pain for a few hours and then yeah. off you go. I want to know where that back pain is stemming from and actually go to the root of it and then fix you up and then you're off. It might sound like a long journey, but it's actually a lot faster than anything else because you're not coming back for multiple sessions and coming back and coming back. We're completely going straight to the source. And so when you go to the source, 
actually faster than you would imagine. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to do somehow on your social media, right? And when you're teaching, you said you taught over 350 people, but on social media, you have more followers. Yeah. Than, I mean, and is this the message you're trying to convey as well? Always, I always try to convey that everybody is unique, even the way they run, even the way they move. We all have a unique pattern towards us. We all have a unique blueprint. And we cannot be so shallow as to thinking everybody should move this way or that. It completely changes depending on your joint size, depending on your bone size, depending on your shoe size, depending on whatever it is. It completely changes between person to person. And so we have to understand this. And then once we understand this, of course, there's a certain way a muscle should contract at a certain time, but it shouldn't look the same to the naked eye for everybody. And once we understand this, people will solve it more freely. Injuries would decrease immensely. Yeah. And I think the majority of people will be happy if injuries started decreasing, except the ones that sell the pills. But Exactly. I don't think the Cisco uh, is taking us in the direction, um, but uh, yeah. there's another agenda, I guess, there. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking this, I'm looking at this from a designer's point of view, like you, someone wants to design their shop or their website or their home or their, their company, right? So we need to understand, ask all the questions we can to understand what is happening, try things, you know, explore and then, you know, assess and then come up with a solution, let's say. And that's what you're doing here, Absolutely. taking each person. But if you go to the hospital, it's like, I mean, do you even go today? Or is it on Microsoft Teams, you know, that you get assessed? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I, I kind of made a decision a few uh, months ago thing that I'm just going to say what I think. <laughs> I'll truth in a miracle, you know, even during this podcast, because I think we just need to talk about those things in general. Somehow, just create awareness, like there was something else. I read a book a very long time ago. I was still a teenager. It was called Whatever You Think, Think the Opposite. And, and this is what I do in my life. It can be hectic, but yeah. I try to. Yeah. It's very difficult actually finding the truth these days and the real truth these days. A lot of people are so bound up by their biases, by what they've been educated to do, by their family traditions, by their social environment. And we have to take this into consideration all the time, you know, and change comes, I think change has to come slow and it cannot come fast and change has to come from within, yeah. you know. There's, I, I don't know if you listen to rap music, but one of the rappers I was always into was Tupac Shakur. And he had a, he had a saying that he would say that he doesn't believe he's going to change the world, but he'll hope he'll spark the mind of the person that actually does. And this is what I always think because changing the world on such a big scale is completely, I mean, I would say it's almost uh, impossible, but maybe sparking a few minds to help along this journey might be the trick. And as long as we're all thinking in the right way and actually trying to better, and this is why I'm going to teach because I think teaching also helps people understand that there's something different. I actually just gave a course in Italy and I'm going to allow myself to say this. In Italy, this was the biggest course I've had that had physical therapists inside of it. And there was four colleagues that came that were quite skeptical in the beginning, uh -huh. the first day and the last day. They came and they said, you really, really thank you for opening our eyes and something different. This stuff really, really works. So slowly. So imagine the first full day of teaching, they were still skeptical. Yeah. Until they started trying it. And they're like, okay, this stuff actually works. Let's start using it. And so they 
And I was really happy for this. And this is how you change. I mean, right now I can go up and make as many Instagram reels as you want. I'm still going to have people laugh and say, oh, you're such a pseudoscientist or whatever, because they haven't tried it. And for them, I just feel, you know, bad for them because they're not open-minded and willing to try something. Because if I see something that actually I've learned and I've weaned myself to do this, that if I see something that goes against my ideologies today, I don't just completely rebuttal it. I actually think about it and maybe give it a try. And then if I give it a try and it's useless, they're not rebuttaling. Then there are a lot of useless things out there. Mm -hmm. But if there is something that's actually good, then why not? And this happens on a daily basis. You know, we're exposed to a lot of information every day today. The stuff that actually says, man, I don't want to do this or whatever it is. Yeah. I go back and I say, okay, let's, let's give it a try and see how it works. So I guess, you know, for some reason. Also, when you get, even with artificial intelligence today, right? There are lots of people who are just against it. But did you explore it? It's like really not. It's, I guess, the fear in general. This happens, I guess, in your world as well, where... You have all those, you, you mentioned it about lots of machines, but then you focus on the, the tech. I yeah. used to use tech, but it's not just the tech. It's like how you use it for your own benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because like today, when we do, when we give a course in what we do, you know, we say, okay, we need to release fibers mm -hmm. on the muscle. You do it any way you want to. So there is a million courses today teaching you how to do muscle releases, how to do uh, dry needling, how to do cupping, how to do... All of this is wonderful. They all get the job done. But where do you put it is more important than what you actually use as a tool. Do it. It's not about, you know, just doing the actual thing. I was in a biohackers convention 2018, 17 or 18, I forgot the, the year in Stockholm, Sweden. And in this biohackers convention, they showed us a laser, cold laser. It's, it's a green laser, how it works. It was a beautiful handheld machine, extremely expensive. So they brought some people up from the crowd and this was all a crowd that we all paid for very, very expensive to get into the venue because we wanted to see certain machines and hear people talk. And we saw this gold laser and they brought people up from the crowd that had basic problems. And the first person's problem, they actually treated the area. So let's say you have a tendonitis here in this tendon. They went and they treated this tendon. The person got better. Okay. Then they took the same problem and they went straight to the source. So they would follow all the nerve all the way back to the cervical spine and say, okay, let's go treat the cervical spine. And then they would treat the cervical spine. And then they saw that the result would actually get better. Then they went back and they say, okay, now let's go up and let's treat the brain. So they actually put the cold laser on the brain in the area that's involved with feeling pain. And that even when the, so the symptoms would get better and better and they would actually last longer depending on where they actually put the laser. So they went back to the source right here. And this is, this was a huge discovery. So imagine what you're doing now. So it's not about the cold laser is an amazing discovery. If we use it in the wrong place, useless. Yeah. And have used it in the right place, it becomes a lot better. It's the same thing with everything else. Yeah. We have a lot of great tools, but we just don't know where to use it. And that's, that's where the research has really, really messed us up today is yeah. because we're not researching anymore about how muscles work or any of that stuff. We have so many great inventions out there. There's a, there's a French scientist that, that made a nano camera that was able to actually film our fascia at work. And there's a YouTube there. You can check it on YouTube. It's a YouTube video called scrolling the skin. So we can actually see fascia today, how it moves. 
And I mean, we need to really change our textbooks. But we can't keep them the same anymore. And talking about muscle punches, you know, I mean, about a lot of other things. So let's just talk about muscle punches for now. You know, uh, science has finally recognized fascia as an organ, which is wonderful. And they say it has receptors. So today we go brain, spinal cord, spinal cord, nerves, nerves, fascia, fascia, muscles. Before it was, there was no fascia, it was nerves, muscles. So now it goes nerves, fascia, fascia, muscles. So fascia went in there. So that was actually a nice discovery. And I think if we keep pushing toward this, we'll actually start finding more and more stuff. So with technology in general, you think, I'm sure you use tech, right, in your work? Absolutely. Uh, it doesn't mean you you are into all the tech available to support your work. You're into the ones that ask the right questions to solve the right problem. Exactly. 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 Many are not asking the right questions. Exactly. We have some kind of technology that can actually support our, our way of thinking or mm-hmm. even even that can support giving us data analysis towards what we need and what we're missing, I would support it in a heartbeat. You know, I mean, it's perfect. There's a lot of other stuff that just, I think that are just useless. That's used. Yes. That's un- that's the unfortunate word. Used and used, but useless. And maybe I'm just saying it's useless because it's being used in the wrong places again. Yeah. And we don't have, I, I haven't tried it enough on the right places to see if it actually is, is, is useful. But again, if, if something is getting done this quickly, we need to change because there's a lot of great minds out there. And these people that are creating these great tools. If they actually started creating tools using the proper way, then a lot of things would change. Question here. There's this uh, T-shirt behind you. Yes. I think you can see it on camera. So whoever is listening should check this on YouTube as well. Can you just expand on this like big uh, shirt? I was very lucky to meet, uh, I mean, this is probably the most prestigious athlete that I've been working with for around three years. Uh, and I'm very lucky. I have to say that he is extremely dedicated, extremely consistent, extreme. I mean, I wore a tweet about him the other day and he's one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. And this is what made him the greatest. You know, I mean, he's just something of another nature. And his mindset, it's just somewhere, somewhere completely different. I'm very lucky, very humbled, but. He's the one who got me into the football work. Yeah. I met him through a mutual friend of mine called Alex that's still with us in Lebanon here. And I was very lucky to actually have started working with him. And uh, he got some good results for me. And this opened up a lot of doors yeah. for myself. And so I'm still working with him today. And and I'll never leave his side, you know. And so I'm very, very lucky. Like, he is very, very consistent, very dedicated to his craft. And he is one of the hardest working people and he does everything right now. And so the same thing that's all for <laughs> when you're doing that, you're going to get repaid in the right way, you know? And uh, so it's, it's been, it's been a nice year. Well, three years, that's uh, a long time. Three years, a long time. And uh, hopefully many more. Okay. Many more. It's, it's opened up a lot of nice doors for myself too. And so I'm very thankful for everything. I know, John, I don't know how long we've been talking. I think I, I have a lot of questions for you. Maybe let's wrap this up because I don't want to take too much of your time. Maybe a few words on breathing because I discovered able to you as well. That is called the uh, oxygen advantage. Yes. So you talk about the muscles in the body, but also the breathing. And anything else, where can people find you? Everything is connected. The whole body is connected. Mind, body, 
soul digestive system now more than anything. Like even had my struggles with the digestive system, going through a lot of stressful times and stuff like this. And so we're always trying to find the proper way to heal ourselves. But as long as we understand that the whole body is connected, whether it's mind, digestive system, lungs, fascia, nervous system, every single thing is connected. Once we understand this, we will find a lot easier journey and path towards healing. And so we try to take everything into consideration as much as I can. Of course, I would always direct you to the proper experts that I believe have mastered their craft in, in certain things. And we always try to, like I said before, teamwork makes a dream work. And we will always try to connect with the proper people and to collaborate to make the best out of person suffering from a problem or which I like, which also a nice friend of mine has used this to thrive instead of survive. And yeah. we want the person to thrive. So there's a lot of people that are that are doing okay today, but they're not at their full potential. They could actually be doing a lot better. So that's where you need to connect all the dots together. You know, connect all the dots together from brain, lungs, digestive system, and anything else that can come into into Where can we find you? I'm available a little late all the time. I mean, Instagram's probably the best way to, to reach out for right now. I have uh, the page at Level 8, of course, it's on Level 8 Center. And then JH Habad uh, is my personal page. So anywhere there is actually the best way for now. We're working on a new website. Hopefully, it'll be up very soon. And I also have the book that I published and I put it on email, uh, excuse me, on ebook last year. And uh, this year, I removed it because I've heard a printing yet. So I wanted to be available printed version much more. So this is actually talks about the true function book. It's actually called Flex, True Function of the Most Controversial Muscles. So that will be reintroduced into the world very soon. Cool. Looking forward to it. It starts with the gut. It ends with the gut. It's in your gut. Gut Talks. <laughs>